0: Taken your first step into a larger world.
1: Let's go. Hello there, and welcome to Force Material. I'm Baz McAllister. And I'm Rowan Williams. And our very special guest today is a very good friend of the show. Mike Chen is a San Francisco Bay Area-based author and geek, the writer of three sci-fi novels, Here and Now and Then, uh, which was a finalist for the Goodreads Choice Best Sci-Fi, the Caliba Golden Poppy and the Compton Crook Book Award, and a beginning at the end, and the upcoming We Could Be Heroes, to be released early next year. You may have also seen Mike's byline at Tor.com, The Mary Sue, Nerdist, Star Trek.com, and more prestigious outlets. Mike joined us last year to jump on the podcast and break down one of the episodes of Mandalorian Season 1 as a fan, but a year's a long time in Star Wars. And this week, Mike becomes an official member of the Star Wars family, with his Palpatine-centric story, Disturbance, being one of 40 chosen to make up Volume 2 of From a Certain Point of View, the Empire Strikes Back edition. Mike, congratulations on you becoming member of the Star Wars family, and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's really awesome today. Today, as we recorded, it, it came out, and it was, it's been a surreal day. It's, it's really <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. And, uh, and I saw that you, um, you posted just on Twitter this morning that Sam Witwer is doing the reading for the audiobook of, of your story. Oh, my yes. God!
2: Um, yeah, yeah it's great it's amazing because um like you know we've been my wife actually for is the first person who um i knew who was a fan of sam's because she loved the frank darabont movie the mist and so when i was playing the force unleashed she was like hey that looks like the guy from the mist and then we looked it up and, and so like, we've been following his career ever since and being human The U S version of being human is one of our favorite shows in in this house. So in addition to his star Wars stuff, like we're just nerding out on multiple levels. here. (laughs) That's great. I hope
0: she's kept that up over the years. Like every time he appears in clone wars or rebels or whatever, you're just like, that sounds
2: like the guy from the
0: mist. Yeah.
2: (laughs) She actually, she did not watch clone wars and rebels with me. And now that we're showing my daughter, Clone Wars, um, like now she's watching like she's heard me talk about it for years But it's like one of those things where it's so daunting for someone to jump in after the fact So Mm -hmm. now that like I like I actually wrote uh, an episode guide leading up to the finale I think for it was for tor or the portalist um, but so i'm like, okay, I have a condensed track that if you want to follow this you know, this is like, you know, 25 episodes for you to do. Like, they're pretty short episodes. And then when my daughter, like, when we did her Star Wars run and she started to watch Clone Wars, my wife's like, okay, I can get into this now safely without just being overwhelmed with, what, 150 episodes or however many there are of Clone Wars. <laughs>
1: That's a that's a really interesting thing because we read your Nerdist piece that came out recently about um, in, indoctrinating your daughter into the mm-hmm, yes, um, and you've gone for Machete Order with that or, or a version of Machete Order, but you've sprinkled in some Clone Wars for mm-hmm. extra depth there as well. Yes, so uh,
2: we thought this out a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it was it was really important. Uh, I mean, like my my wife and I are like you married through our geekdom like on our first lunch date she was wearing a princess leia t-shirt and this is 2002 so it was like star wars was was back but it was still kind of like the lesser than compared to like lord of the ring the matrix um so but like it's been very very present in in our lives like forever so when when my wife got pregnant i remember like we actually started talking about it then we're like how do we do this because we're we're going to have to think about it and we actually like some, like our friends gave us the Darth Vader and son book. And we're like, Nope, you cannot read that, <laughs> you know, because that's a spoiler. <laughs> <right there. laughs> so we, we like, we would introduce, um, we would introduce like plushies and like w- books that like, if they had spoilers, we would just like read over them or, or like not acknowledge them. And then like around like five, we're like, okay, I think she can, follow the storytelling enough that like because we we didn't want her to just watch it and be like that was fun I don't care put on you know Daniel Tiger or you know some some kids show like this like we wanted her to have like the emotional resonance of of the whole thing so we we really thought it out and it's totally worked like every night at like after a shower I'm drying off my daughter and that seems to be her time to ask me Star Wars (laughs) questions (laughs) so I get everything from like like these deep questions about like why didn't Obi-Wan say anything to Anakin about Padme? You know, like things like that, where I'm like, that's a really good question. And that, you know, like she's picking up on the nuance of like why the Jedi failed. And then on the other hand, like she'll ask me like, do you think Anakin poops in his suit? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) 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 So she thinks about Star Wars all the time. In fact, I have like just yesterday, um, I was like, do I get mad at her for this? Because she was supposed to be, you know, doing her virtual kindergarten in quarantine, but instead she's drawing a picture of Anakin, and she's like, "Look, Dad, he's got his Padawan braid." I'm like, "I can't be mad at this, <laughs> you know, but you should pay attention to class." <laughs> this
1: this is your new book, your next book. is a children's book called "Does Anakin Poop in a Suit?" Yes. Co-written with your daughter.
2: <laughs> I don't tell my agent right away to pitch that.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: fantastic. Did, did going through it that way kind of make her more sympathetic to Anakin? Like, because obviously oh, for us, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, it was. So I would say like her favorite character is Ray because as a young girl, and, and like you know, up until she gets to the sequel trilogy, like even Padme is a strong character, but she's not a Jedi, you know. And so for like she saw Ahsoka with some Clone Wars episodes, but then to see Ray really you know be the center of it all like she gravitated to to ray um really easily so i'd say like ray is her favorite character but she has the most empathy for anakin Mm. um and and she will just like say things like if we rewatch like a new hope and like the opening you know scene like she'll say oh leia doesn't know that she's talking to her dad you know and you know she'll say like what do you think anakin's thinking right now she'll say things like that so you can see that she even actually was telling me um, just today at lunch about how um about how like she goes you know it's actually a good thing that the the emperor saved Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith and I'm like well why is that because like a lot of bad things happened after that and she's like well because then he could become good again and and save the galaxy I'm like Oh wow! So you really do. You know, she's really invested in his journey because she's seen him from from a little boy. So mm-hmm. uh, this order, it, like seeing it again, like I actually have never tried watching it in this order, and it really, it really works. Like you have to overlook, you know, the the execution flaws of of the prequels. <laughs> I would say, like I'm, I am way easier on them than I was when when I was like in my twenties watching like the Phantom Menace. Um, Watching it with a six year old who is laughing at everything that Jar Jar does, you know, it makes it much easier to stomach. But then, like, just on a character development level, and then also with me being a big Clone Wars person, like, I can't separate Clone Wars Anakin from you know Mm. the movie Anakin. So it's like I see this big tapestry, and then you watch it in this order, and it really really works. I, I think, like, they've taken it 's really kind of amazing, because when you think about like he 's very thinly characterized in in just like the prequel trilogy as it stands, but then when you add in like the surrounding media and then you watch it in this order which frames the prequel in like context, mm. then he actually becomes a really like flawed and interesting character
1: mm. you've convinced me this is ahead of me in the next couple of years. my son's only two and a half now, but uh, when he turns five, I reckon that's good, and and I think I'll go with the order that you went in because it yeah, sounds like it, a, the the roadmaps there now.
2: Well, it, it's really interesting too because if you look at like what can they take emotionally, like around like five and six, like you know, A New Hope is very easy for them. You know, it's mostly just kind of fun and silly, and then it's like if you crack them into Empire, then they start to see that there's something broader at play here. Like we actually, so we asked our daughter like we were going to we knew we were going to do this but we asked her like you know do you think vader is lying to luke or do you think obi-wan is lying to luke and she was just so convinced that like why would obi-wan lie to luke he would never do that mm. and then we told we said like would you like to see who and or who luke's dad really is and how he grew up do you want to see that before we we get to the next movie and she was all in like we just framed it like you know, now you can find out the story and, and fill in all these gaps because you're just asking us these questions anyways. Mm. So like it, it really worked. And then having, having a child view the Phantom Menace and empathize with a child, suddenly like they are totally invested. So she was yeah. just completely destroyed at the end of <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Poor kid. Like, you know, the, the credits roll And then she's just sitting there and like, we turn down the volume and she goes like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) She asked me, she's like, why would someone make this? Like, oh, poor kid. (laughs) Cause it's like, it's not just Anakin turned into Vader. Cause like, you know, when Anakin turns, if she actually first said, she goes, well, he says he's Darth Vader but he's not that Darth Vader. Something must happen because there's no suit. And I'm like, "Oh god, something does happen." <laughs> but then uh, but then it's like, you know, not only does does Anakin get, you know, fried, but then Padme dies and she was mm. not expecting that at all. And she was like totally in into Padme. Um and, and so it's like when when Padme dies, she's like she actually goes, "What's happening?" And my wife goes, well padme died and she goes what and just stunned silence right there. like she like starts to say something and it's just gone I'm, on, I'm like oh god we've totally tortured this poor child <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it but it works because it, it, and then afterwards you know we told her like there're a lot of adventures with padme you know through the um through the clone wars and you get to spend more time with her we did tell her Specifically the, the, the fan theory of Palpatine, you know, using the dark side to like siphon Padme's mm-hmm. life to keep Anakin alive. We just told her that's canon <laughs> because we don't <laughs> want her to think I gave up. <laughs> and I think like the way that it's cut and the way that it's written, like there's plenty of evidence to, to show this. Mm. And also in like in Rise of Skywalker how like they they canonized the idea of like using life force to heal and transfer I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm sold on this theory. This is what we're telling her has happened She doesn't (laughs) have to think that gave up (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) So if you were if you were like 20s when Phantom Menace came out um, Were you old enough then to have seen uh, the originals in the cinema?
2: I know, uh, I believe my parents took me to see Empire. I mean, I have an older brother who's two years older than me. And I know mm. my older brother saw Empire in the theaters. Um, and I definitely saw Jedi. Like, I have very specific memories of like going to see Return of the Jedi, being scared when they take the Vader helmet off. Like, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and then right afterwards, we went to a department store and like, in, they had all these like Return of the Jedi merch like up front. And they had like a, a storybook. And I remember like thumbing through that and then getting to the picture of Vader without his helmet and like slamming it right away. And like, <laughs> I can't <look> at <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's definitely been in my life, like my entire life. Mm.
1: Did you grow up in the Bay area or did you mm-hmm. live there later? Yeah. 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 So, I was
2: born in San Jose. Mm.
1: So when did you sort of become aware that the Bay area was like star Wars HQ where, you know, George Lucas was just up the road.
2: Yeah. I think probably in high school. Like, you know, there's always talk about, um, like, wouldn't it be cool to, like, to go there and see, like, what he has? But, like, I don't think I really understood that until high school. And then when they started doing, like, when the rumblings of, like, the special editions started happening. And then, like, you'd go on, like, the Force.net message boards or something. And they'd be like, you know, we're driving up, you know, to Napa Valley to go buzz by Lucasfilm. (laughs) You know, people would be doing that. And then, like, you really start putting it together.
1: You know, I I got a thrill driving past Lucas Valley Road when you yes. come down. And you see that sign for Lucas Valley Road in the highway. Like, wow!
2: Have you no, know, you guys have you when you visited the states? Have you ever been to Rancho Obi Wan, Steve? Samson, no, I've
0: never, I've never visited the states.
2: Oh well, you should come on by when there's not a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: what I hear. It's lovely outside for the <laughs> season.
2: <laughs> we, um, I had uh, one guy. I don't talk to him anymore, but he was. Um, he was big in the Star Wars community here, and like he would organize trips to go up to Rancho Obi Wan. Um, and but I never actually made it up there. Like that—that that is a goal in my life, though.
1: <laughs> mm, that's is that Petaluma? Is that where that is? Um, or near it's there? No,
2: yeah, it's like basically about two hours north of where I'm at. So yeah, you you got to make a day out of it. Yeah. You were um you were a
0: big fan of like Star Wars games in the early days, like especially mm-hmm. you know, LucasArt's X Wing. Yes. How much are you lo- How much are you loving squadrons at the moment as an adult?
2: I think Squadrons is the best game I've ever played in my <laughs> life. <laughs> so when X-Wing first came out, actually even before that, when Wing Commander, which was like the you know, the non-Star Wars, like the first space combat simulator like it was everything that i wanted like as a kid i'm like this is the greatest thing i've I've ever played because it's it's like i went from my first love was like star wars and like at the time i was like lightsabers are cool but i want to fly an (laughs) x-wing um and then my obsession with with like fighter pilots got even further with um do you guys know the anime series robotech yeah Okay. So yeah. So Robotech had like the transforming fighter jets in it and, and like a really great story that I, I think still holds up. And I would love to write Robotech, like tie in stuff right now, but, but like, uh, so as a kid, like I had like two tracks of fighter pilots in space is awesome. <laughs> and so I, I, it's something that I always fantasized about. So then, Wing Commander came out, and then, like, I remember in my my PC gaming magazine, it was like six months later. It was like Lucas Arts announces X-Wing, and I'm like, this is this is everything that I've ever wanted. And then, like, the whole genre just disappeared after Rogue Squadron for N64. Mm. And, and oh no, wait, there was there was a um, Star Fighter for PS2, and that was pretty good, but it was very arcade feeling. Mm. Um, and so when they announced Squadrons. I was like, you know, please be a combat simulator. Do not not just an arcade. And then I remember watching the um, the trailer for it and you could see like the um the power balancing meters yes. between shields, engines and I'm like, they did it. They did it. They're bringing back X-Wing except it looks like this. So, yeah, Squadrons <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> Squadrons is so good.
1: Yeah. This Star Wars video gaming has has entered a bit of a renaissance, you know. And, and Yes. I, I I can only imagine it's going to get so much better from here.
2: Because there was a, that period of like, I think from the Phantom Menace to the Force mm. Unleashed, where it was just like bad tie-in games. Uh, I mean, like, I remember playing the Phantom Menace PC game, and it was like kind of fun, but you could tell that it was not put together with a lot of care. It's like Racer. Oh, and you know, who? Um, what's the, the John Knowles? Mm-hmm. Uh, was he yeah. the racer yeah because like i remember listening to that episode and i'm like this is awesome like this is like the backstory of like the good and the bad of <laughs> lucas arts at the time yes uh, but it was like it was it, it was very hit and miss and then from the force unleashed on they seemed to like really take it more seriously and i was disappointed that that um 1313 like nothing ever happened with mm. that but I do believe, like they've they're using assets from it in the Mandalorian and and like other pieces like within like current Star Wars media. So like, I I love how like nothing's ever totally erased from <laughs> from what they can do. Mm. Yeah, we
0: mentioned up the top of the show that you uh, you've written as well as your Star Wars work. You've written for Star Trek uh, and your dad is an avowed Star Trek fan. I'm getting, yes. So you obviously are as well, but, you know, I'm assuming Star Wars wins out of the two for you. Was there any family tension there?
2: Uh, no, I mean, like, my, uh, one thing that I, I've always shared with my dad is, like, going to the movies to see Bond films and Star Wars films uh, and Star Trek films, but, you know, Star Trek films, like, you know, are very hit and miss. Um, <laughs> he's so a big so Star Wars films, a lot of people would argue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always say, like, I tell people, I think like the Star Wars TV shows are like just more consistent in terms of their writing than the than the film, like all of the films. Mm. But um, Star Trek, like the original series, like you know, I can take it or leave it. Next Gen is really my thing, and my wife was a big Next Gen and Voyager person, and so um, she actually to get ready for Picard, uh, she sat me down and we we did like a binge. Voyager and, and like now we're doing Deep Space Nine because I like Deep Space Nine and I like Enterprise. I like the back half of Enterprise, um, seasons three and four. So uh, like we are a Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who family. Like there's equal amounts of merchandise all over our house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are you um, are you a big collector? Do you have lots of? Do you collect any particular Star Wars?
2: You know, I used to be. I I, I used to be. I used to collect figures and ships um and then uh, like it it just started becoming like a matter of space for me uh, my wife is still a big collector like not so much uh i'd say like it's died down a lot since we had a kid um like the energy to to like to to put into that and the money like kind of goes away but like my wife uh was still really into like the vinyl pop figures and, and um she was more into like cool bags or like you know dresses that are like alluding to Star Wars but like are not explicitly like you know a t-shirt with the Millennium Falcon on it like you yeah. know she she wanted like stuff that you would find on Etsy like that sort of stuff yeah. so we did kind of evolve from like figures and ships to like the more like kind of functional but still cool things in our life
1: i'm uh, i'm mostly figures couple of ships but i pulled the trigger on the Razor Crests the other oh day before God. yeah you before.
2: know what So my wife my wife the one thing that she is a sucker for is like metal lunch boxes uh-huh. so if you look in in our house like above our kitchen cabinets like she has uh she's lined up all of her our metal lunch boxes so she actually has an original empire one from like 1980 i don't oh, even wow. know what she got it's like it's kind of rusted and dirty like you you would have to like give it a good polish to make it look nice but uh like she got it at a garage sale somewhere but she's also got like a you know she's got Star Trek and like she's got this Doctor Who One where it's like it's the TARDIS But Jean-Luc Picard is inside the TARDIS Because it's like a crossover Comic so like we have all of our nerd stuff Being represented there and we did just Get the um she got the Mandalorian One with where it's got The um IG unit and Mando like on like They're drawn kind of like an 80s comic Book like you know that kind of like very bright Coloring Uh Uh, and so like that Lunchbox has made it into our kitchen Too
0: (laughs) Now, you uh, you have, you know, as, as we said at the top, you've, you've written a story in the latest uh, Star Wars uh, from a certain point of view book for The Empire Strikes Back. So let's let's kind of talk about how, I guess, you got to this point. I mean, you picked your career path very early. You've always kind of been a writer since your school days, right?
2: Yeah, I have an engineering degree, um, but I always, um, when I was in college, I I think I, I was an engineer because I do really enjoy math and science. Um, actually, one thing that I constantly quote from Star Trek discovery is like after they, after they nail like a jump, like from their, from their sport drive and Ensign Tilly goes, that is the power of math people. And I, I say <laughs> that all the time because I love math and I love science. But um, when I, when I was taking classes in college, I always tried to take like extra like literature and writing classes. Like I wanted to like kind of feed every part of my brain. Um, and so after I graduated, I started like freelance sports writing. Like that was actually kind of like my weird mm-hmm. intro into writing. Like I took creative writing classes, but then I also did like freelance sports writing. Cause I realized that like, I, I it just kind of came naturally and like I had my science and engineering brain uh, uh, watching sports that way so i could like break it down analytically and it was like the early days of sports journalism on the web so it was like if you write out consistent quality content people eventually found you um and then like the bigger network sites like um basically absorbed everyone's blogs at that point mm. so i did that for a while um and then i went back to to writing fiction and around like the late the late two thousands. So like around 2008, 2009, I was like, I, I want to get back into creative stuff and not so much like the sports stuff anymore. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so then, uh, yeah, but it's like it's always been there in some form. Like I was a technical writer, like with my engineering degree for a while. And I still do some of that now. I, I'm more like marketing writing for my day job, but I, I still do technical writing. So like somehow or another, every day I am writing something.
1: Yeah, that's good to keep that muscle flexing because that's the key to it, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And and I say too that like uh, um people will ask me like if I'm writing like, you know, a corporate blog post or something like that, like does that drain like my my creative, you know, well? And I'd say like it doesn't actually, because it's like it's not it doesn't it doesn't feel as difficult to do that. It's like, you know, the 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 standard for writing a corporate data sheet. <laughs> or or like a, a marketing article is just like the bar is not that high so <laughs> it's like y- you work on your own like self-editing skills and like your word choice and like if you need to make the, the tone more marketing or the tones more technical it's like there's a lot of muscles that you use for your brain and it's good to keep those sharp so then like when i actually write fiction um or, or even like when i write like if I write for a Nerdist article or whatever, it's like it takes more brain power than the uh, like writing a corporate article. So it's it's good to kind of like keep that muscle really in tune. Mm.
1: And and amongst all that stuff, you've alluded on your own website that you've had some other uh, interesting life experience stuff going on, like uh, a brief time spent DJing, <laughs> yes. uh, playing guitar and bass in bands, and, and mm-hmm. you even worked in a London gay club for a while, yeah,
2: a bartender. I was a bartender, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: so like does any of that stuff find its way into, you know, inspiration for stuff you've written about in your novels or?
2: Um n- not really. It's just I I like I I guess you could just say that I I like having a lot of creative experiences. Like I I am a big music nerd. It's like I would say that like I don't talk about it as much uh on my social media, but like music is probably as important to me as science fiction. I don't get to play music much now just because like, I don't have time, Mm -hmm. but like uh, finding new bands and like before everything shut down, like going to shows and things like that. So my wife and I are two biggest things when we were dating and when we were still like young and a lot more fun, like we were we four know, children.
1: You mean before? Yes, basically like I get it. we
2: would go to, we would go to nerd conventions and we would go to a uh, show like concerts at small clubs. And that was like, it was either one of those things like every weekend for us. So, mm. um, so yeah, like it. it's just a uh, music is always like kind of feeding my My brain in like different ways that that um, I think nerd stuff can't.
0: Mm. So when did you actually sort of sit down to, to write that first novel and, and how long did it did it take to to do?
2: So I decided that I wanted to give it a try. In like 2007, 2008-ish, and I wrote a really terrible novel about uh, playing in bands. <laughs> <laughs> it was inspired by Nick Hornby's fide- *High Fidelity*. Uh-huh. I, like, I wanted to do like that kind of tone, but like from a, the musicians' perspective, not just the the fan perspective. Uh-huh. Um, it, every every author needs to have like the first one or two books that's just not going to go anywhere. But you need to kind of like figure out storytelling. So that book will never go like never be seen by anyone, but it was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I put together, I think like two or three like contemporary st- uh, stories that like weren't really working. And like, I was still trying to figure out like how to become a storyteller and like three act structure and that sort of stuff. And uh, the book that eventually became my second book, a beginning at the end, I had first uh, drafted that in 2011 and that was the one where my, my, my writing partner, I was telling her that like, I'm getting bored writing like contemporary stories, but I still wanted to write like very character driven stuff. Mm -hmm. And like at the time that really wasn't that popular in science fiction. And she said like, well, why don't you just take that and then put it into like the science fiction stuff that you like, because that's what you want to do anyways, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that, that really kind of changed the trajectory of my, my writing career. So that one, that one did not uh, get an agent, but I put it on the shelf. And then the next one um, was a time travel story that, that um, got my agent and that came out and that was here and now and then, Mm. and then my agent, when we were looking at what are we going to do next? And I, I said like uh, he found, I forget how he came up with it, but like he somehow discovered that I had like this post-apocalyptic like family story and he's like, let me see that, and and he he read the draft, and he's like, it needs a lot of work. It's very you know, you can tell it's like early writer <laughs> career, <laughs> um, but he's like, I really like a lot of the ideas in it. It's unique, and then we reworked that, and that became my second book. So, um, I'd say like in it, there was probably like four or five years of like just revising and revising different ideas and stuff and then like I didn't really get a sniff of like actual this could be something until like 2014, 2015.
0: Did it get easier to write each of the books like when you know once once here now and then was out there in the world like was it a bit easier to write the second book and then the third book and so on and so on or is it is it just a you know is the process just as difficult every time?
2: Um I'd say like the fear and anxiety are just as bad every time, <laughs> but the process has actually gotten easier. Like I know what my strengths are and, and like I have, I am an outliner. So I will outline like a three act structure to start. And then I will write like a few scenes to kind of get a feel for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there I will go back and I will just like start writing it like one act at a time. Mm. Um and so it's like act one, act two A, Act Two B, and then Act Three. So like four equal parts. Um, which like once you discover this structure as a writer, you will never see like anything I see on TV, even commercials, like everything has three act structure now. And I can't mm. unsee it. It's like the matrix. Mm. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's like it's easier because like I've just I've done it enough that like I understand the path to get to completion, but it's still like I'm I'm starting a a proposal for my fifth book right now. And like, I'm starting from scratch. I have like a four page outline that my agent likes and I'm starting out like these exploratory chapters and scenes. And I'm just like, I'm going to fail. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) So that always, that has happened every time so far.
1: That's how everyone feels, isn't it? So yes, feels. it's complete um,
2: imposter syndrome.
1: <laughs> I, I love that what you're saying about uh, you know focusing on family relationships in your novels, but putting in that that sprinkle of sci-fi. So I'm I'm thinking that that if your novels were Star Wars films, they'd be directed by Kirshner. They're the yes. intimate character Fort study Ryan kind Thompson. of. Yeah, yeah, uh, it <laughs> yeah. Would be,
2: it would be much more towards the Last Jedi than the Force Awakens. Um, yeah, and I find that the 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 movies that I go back to and that I enjoy the most are usually like the, the character driven ones. So like my, my order of star Wars is uh, empire and then revenge of the Sith and then the last Jedi and then rogue one. And those are more challenging than like a new hope or the force awakens, which are more just like, you know, more on like the fun tint of star Wars. Mm -hmm.
0: The, um, your middle novel, a beginning at the end was published. (laughs) Just after COVID nineteen broke out, just before COVID nineteen broke out, Uh, (laughs) set during a pandemic. Um, We understand you've had some irate messages since then from people (laughs) who who don't really appreciate how long it takes to write and publish a book.
2: Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, Like around March, uh, because like usually most readers of my first book, like I would get messages from them on Twitter, and they'd be like. I can't read this right now. Like the news is scaring me. I'm like, that's totally fine. Like I, I get it, you know, and internally I'm thinking like, you know, this is going to be like a career killer. What have I done? (laughs) And then like in March I got like this, this email and it was just this woman like just raging at me for like taking advantage of like people suffering. And I'm like, I finished this in 2018. Like this is not, I'm not (laughs) trying to do this. Um, but I, I that did turn into um a Forbes article. Uh, like I, cause I tweeted about it and then uh one of their entertainment writers like saw it and it turned into like the second wave of publicity and and helped the book kind of find it. I don't know footing. if second
0: wave is the word is is That's, uh, phrasing yeah, you
2: <laughs> Second wind <of> yeah. publicity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been an interesting it's been an interesting year to promote a pandemic book. Like I, I would not advise anyone to go through this because it's just it's just not cool and, and time out you're right hold on yes I, I see you under the chair you have to get out <laughs> come, here. come here come here okay do you want to tell them who is your favorite star wars character ray ray yes okay and, and why do you think the emperor tricked anakin anakin <laughs> that's right okay can you can you give me, can you go go in your room now full marks <laughs>
1: <laughs> this um this could not be more perfect timing because our next question <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, our next question is like about um so it's one of the busiest times in your entire career you're maintaining a writing routine you're being a parent and there's a pandemic on which means everything's shut down and your daughter's around the house how are you managing this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's that, um, there's that gif from mad men when Pete goes, not great, Bob. (laughs) And that's kind of how I feel most of the time. (laughs) I, um, I get up, I try to get up at like 5.30 to 6 to to write before my daughter gets up and she gets up about 7.30 or 8. And then her school starts at 8.30. Um, school's actually gone a little bit better, like a little bit smoother than I thought. Like I can actually work during her school and my wife and I will like trade shifts w- with her during the day. It's just by the end of the day, I am just freaking exhausted and yeah. like I try to get in 30 to 60 minutes of writing at night too. Um, Like during this, like this, this last week with the American election going on, I did not write at all. I was just like constantly checking the news feeds and like, what are the vote counts at? And like not sleeping and all this stuff. So it was like, everything was worse. But other than that, I think I've been able to hit a routine and it's just extreme time management, extreme project management. And, just uh just taking in like if i have half an hour i i have not played star wars squadrons as nearly as much <laughs> as i wanted to um because i I you know i have deadlines and i have contracts and i have to i have to hit those
1: if you add up all the uh the word count from all the political tweets you've done in the last couple of weeks you've smashed like yeah, a novella exactly. at least.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, all of my like you know fundraising and call your electeds and all those yeah. things like However many characters that is, I'm sure that's like a ninety thousand word novel, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, while all this has been going on, and you know, while you've been 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 uh, you know pumping out novels of your and you've you've maintained your Star Wars fandom, you've you've kept your finger on the pulse. I mean, what was your reaction to the first, from a certain point of view, book when it came out, and and to the the format of it, I guess specifically.
2: I remember when when that was announced. I remember I telling my agent, I'm like. I need to get in on something like this because I will do a really good job with it. I promise (laughs) you because it's the idea of like, just like a short character story against like the bigger backdrop. I'm like, that's what I do. Mm. So when I, when I was actually reading it, I was uh, very judgmental because like uh, some of the stories I'm like, I could have taken this concept and I could have done it better. But (laughs) then there are others like Claudia Gray's master and apprentice, which is one of my favorite. Like her master and apprentice novel is one of my favorite star Wars novels, but her master and apprentice short story is I think even better than that. Mm. Like just that, that little nugget of, of Obi-Wan consulting with Qui-Gon right before he finds Luke. Um, So like that was like the pinnacle of it for me because it was like, it gave us a new um, dimension to Mm Obi-Wan And it wove connective tissue into into a new hope that obviously was not there, you know, to start. Um and, and it was short and it was written really well. Mm. So yeah, that was that was I, I really, really wanted to be in a project like that. And um when when uh do you remember when um oh I forget the the actor's name. The guy who's playing Shane Chi for, for Marvel.
0: Liu. Yeah,
2: okay. He when he had tweeted like a year before he got Shang-Chi that mm. I, I would really want to do this. Yeah, And then when he announced it, all sorts of like creative Twitter was like, okay, shoot your shot, be like him. And uh, leading up to that, like I, I had planned to, I wanted to find a way to try to like impress the, the Delray editors on Twitter. So I had planned, um, a a, like my own version of from a certain point of view of like 30 pitches for the phantom menace from start to finish. Uh And I was telling, um, I was talking with uh, Delilah Dawson and Rebecca Roanhorse about like, when should I do this? Like, how do I not seem too desperate, (laughs) but but I want to post this. And then, um, so they were like, well, you should wait until something's going to happen and then it'll seem appropriate. And then that came up. Um, And I don't know if it's like, I know Tom, my editor, There, like, he's, he's seen it. And like, we've joked about like, you know, like he could totally steal that for, for the Phantom Menace version. So like, I, I, when, when I did that, um, like Rebecca and and a few other people, like in the Star Wars canon, like they had retweeted it. And then I saw the editors like starting to like some of the stuff in there. And I'd use like the hashtag for, you know, shoot your shot. I don't know how much influence that actually had um, because I know my, my agent was working to, um, to like get in with them too. And to start talking about IP projects because they also do other things like, um, they do, uh, they do, uh, D and D and Minecraft and a few other projects like within like the editorial, uh, that editorial realm. Yeah. But, uh, So my agent was trying to get in with them and see like what they wanted And like, how could I get in like their, their roster of people they're considering. I think that probably helped though, because it really showed how, like how deep I was willing to go into my nerd.
0: (laughs) So what was it actually like when you kind of like, how did you find out you were actually going to be, you know, contributing to, from a certain point of view too?
2: So um, my agent called me and he said, he said, uh, just so you don't freak out. I've been talking with Del Rey and like their Lucasfilm division and we might have something for you. Uh, and I'm like, what is it? And he's like, I don't know yet, but just like mentally prepare yourself. And I'm I'm thinking like most things in publishing take forever. So I thought like, I'm not going to hear anything for, but like six months. So I just kind of put it out of my head. And then he called me the next week and he said like, they want you to do a, a story in from a certain point of view too. And I'm like, okay. I can do this. Like, And then I started thinking about all these different ideas. And before I got too ahead of myself, I was thinking, okay, I'm probably not the first person they ask. So I'm <laughs> sure a bunch of the characters have already been taken. So I, I prevented myself from writing pitches for every character. I'm like, I, I just want to start thinking about who might be available. The paperwork, I, it only took a few days. And then I started talking with Tom and I said, like, you know, who can I actually pick? Mm-hmm. And he sent, uh, he sent over a list. And he's like, it's pretty open. Like, you know, the big, like, Boba Fett's been taken. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the bounty hunters have been taken. And he he sent like, uh, he's like the the technician behind Admiral Ozzel is available. The 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 droid that swears at C three PO is available. And he said Palpatine's available. And I'm I'm like, why hasn't anyone taken Palpatine yet? Like, maybe it was just like it might be too hard to like really get into his head for Mm. for something like that. And I was thinking it over and I was like, okay, I I actually wrote pitches for some of the other characters uh, because I knew that like these, these are the types of stories they're looking for. They're like, they're short and they're fun and they give the, the background characters a little bit of depth. But then I wrote this pitch about Palpatine and I was thinking like, there's no way they're going to let me do this. I am like new to their roster this is a huge Canon point. You know, there's just no way they're going to let me do it. And then they actually like first the editor approved and then he sent it to the story group and then the story group approved. And I wrote a short treatment and then they had to do the approval again. And then I wrote the whole thing and each step of the way I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go back to one of my backup stories because there's just no way they will actually let me do it, but mm. it's in print now they can't take it away from me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Like you said, um, it- Palpatine maybe wasn't chosen because people were fearing uh, the inability to get into the headspace of Palpatine uh, or find his voice. So how did you, you start with getting into his headspace? What's he planning around this time in Empire Strikes Back and and how did you sort of find your way into that?
2: So I, I knew that... Um... I always viewed the 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 Zoom call between Vader and Palpatine. <laughs> I always viewed that as like a little bit of they're both testing each other because you know they're they're being very selective with their words, um, and so I kind of wanted to get back into that and figure out like what does what does Palpatine know at that point? Um, one of, so there's two big points of influence for the voice. Uh, one very specific scene in Revenge of the Sith when, when Anakin confronts him, and then Palpatine starts talking about, like, you know, it gives you focus, it makes you stronger, and his voice turns just a little bit evil, but not mm-hmm. completely evil. And that's kind of like the, the tone that I wanted to set for it. And the other thing is um, the novelization for Revenge of the Sith by Ma- Matthew Stover goes into, like, it personifies the dark side as a, a character. And it writes like these tone poems about like what the dark is and how the dark always wins. And so I kind of, those were like my two biggest inspirations. And then also like further dark side characters, like Sam Witwer's uh, uh, more his old Maul than not not so much Clone Wars Maul because Clone Wars Maul is still like trying to be like a general, but mm-hmm. Rebels Maul is like really you know, trying to just manipulate everyone mm-hmm. and is is like a shattered person. Um, so the idea of Palpatine's head is very much he doesn't care about feelings. He's very detached. Everything is about strategizing for him. And that's so I I proposed that to Tom, the editor, and I said, like, I don't think we should touch his feelings at all and he said like that's that's the right direction to go plus if i touched on his feelings it'd probably get edited out by the story group anyways because like there's so much about palpatine as a character that is not known Mm. so i kept it strictly in the headspace of everything that he thinks about is about accumulating power so Mm. so that's Mm. really set the tone right there
1: yeah so he's playing he's like a chess master he's exactly yeah moves ahead yeah
0: I love how uh, in the in this sort of Disney canon era, we we have sort of expanded so much on this conversation between Vader and the Emperor. Like we've seen Vader's, you know, in terms of like when Vader found out about Luke in the Marvel mm-hmm. comics, which I, I still think is the best moment from any of the the Marvel um, Star Wars comics that have come out so far. And now in your in your story, you know, we're seeing the Palpatine's side of it. Like how how do you view? the relationship between Palpatine and Vader around this time in their development together. I mean, the Charles Sulk comics have have pretty firmly established there's like little or, or no trust between them. Is that kind of yeah. how you see it?
2: So I actually read the Vader comics after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I, I read a lot of comics as a kid and like I could not read digital comics for the longest time. Like the format just would not work with me. And then Mm -hmm. to actually get out to a comic store um, until things were in like in omnibus collections. Like it was, I just didn't read a lot of comics. So when I, when I outlined my story, there were notes from the editor from the editorial team where they said, Oh, this will really work well with, with the Vader comic and the Dr. Afra thing that we have coming up. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but you know, tell me if I have to change something. <laughs> um, so then I heard the Dr. Afra audio drama first when that came out. Um, and then like the, the, there's the part at the end of it where um, with, where Vader finds out um, and Afra kind of like, negotiates for palpatine or, or between palpatine and vader and i'm like oh this this works perfectly and then i went back and actually read i got the like the marvel unlimited subscription and forced myself to read digital comics <laughs> um and, and then i so i was reading the vader series i'm like oh i get why everyone was so on board because it, like my pitch just kind of neatly locks into the whole thing so mm. uh it was it wasn't by design um Like, I hadn't read any of that source material beforehand, but it it all just kind of, like, I think it just, if you think about it naturally, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Like, you know that two Sith are never going to trust each other. Yeah. And you know uh, Anakin has this connection to Luke that's kind of, like, you know, distorted and very protective. So it all just kind of naturally lines up.
1: It's like he had foreseen it. Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What is it about Palpatine? Do you think that makes him such a great character and such a beloved, you know, bad guy?
2: You know, (laughs) so watching the Machete Order again, um, because when you seeing my daughter experience how he goes from like kind of this nice but weird old guy to just like. (laughs) laughing and having a great time at being evil i think there's part of it is part of it is that he's such a ham when he's when he's evil like in return (laughs) of the jedi and he's like totally trolling luke the whole like you want this (laughs) you know (laughs) being a jerk to luke so there's that there's that gleeful villain part of it but then um i think his complexity in the prequel trilogy about how you know his plans get derailed all the time, and he's constantly adapting. And one of the things that I thought was really cool is when they brought Darth Maul back in Clone Wars. At first, I was really skeptical. Uh, I remember, like, you know, the press release and stuff. And I'm like, they're doing this for ratings. This can't. This will have no basis in story. And obviously, you know, it turned into like one of the best things about Star Wars. Mm. Um, but then listening to Sam Witwer talk about like how are they going to play this, and the idea that. That Maul was supposed to be, you know, what, what Dooku turned out to be. Mm. And and Palpatine had to pivot. You know, he was like, Oh, I, I lost my apprentice and now I have to have someone else be the leader of the separatists. Mm. So I think the idea that he's constantly one step ahead and his plans change all the time because you know, it, it's just it, things are too big to be predictable. So he's just constantly manipulating things. And I think that's really fascinating.
1: Mm. So we we know he was pulling the strings now in the in the prequel and the original and the sequel trilogy So he's behind everything. Uh, you're writing him at precisely the midpoint of that. So you know you, you obviously had to be mindful of his origins, mindful of his future um, while writing him. How did you manage to marry all that together? Because you you really do bring the whole thing together. You know from
2: so the the idea really was um, he has he has contingencies for everything. Uh, and he, he tries to be as, um, he tries to take advantage of anything that he sees. So I, I actually, there was a, I don't remember if this made it to the edit stage or if I cut it early on, there's a passage in there that talks about where potential, like, uh, you know, people who might want to overthrow him, where they might actually be. Mm -hmm. And I I mentioned like some of the planets from Knights of the Old Republic, like Malachor and a core band from from rebels and i remember i i put in exegol there and i was like is that going too far at this stage like because like we don't know like i I didn't want to necessarily be locked in to that and i didn't know if that was going to get like cut later on because like maybe they want to have a story about that later so i just i left it out for now like i i I think i added in like another vague thing about like uh you know like uh outer regions or something like that Mm. um so i tried to be really careful about that plus this was um i mean i was writing this around like april and i think i don't think that there was still two like there hadn't they hadn't said as much about like um or at least i don't remember reading as much like definitive information about like why palpatine came back yet <laughs> in, in rise of skywalker so i was like i, I will allude to the fact that um you know, that he's clearly got plans and he, if someone's going to come back, he would be the one who's capable of doing that. But Mm -hmm. I didn't want to get too into too many specifics about the future because like, I I just didn't want to back myself into a corner Mm -hmm. um, because some, some things didn't feel defined yet. Um, So the bigger, the bigger goal was then to, to weave connective tissue between the prequel trilogy and Anakin and his relationship with Palpatine and make that more of like the core of the story, because really that's that's like the heart of Star Wars, right there. Like mm-hmm. that is the thing that drives everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, as as we record this, the book is going to be on shelves to today. Uh, it's going to be being put into mailing boxes and going out to everywhere except Australia, where it's out <laughs> in a week from now. <laughs> oh. um, so it's we okay, have You guys any-
2: don't have COVID deaths, so <laughs> yeah, I'll take I'll take that. <laughs> right <Yeah. here>.
1: yeah. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> But yeah, is it, is it too early to sort of ask you what reactions you've been getting to your story? Have you had people uh, I, contact you?
2: I, I have only seen a, a few. Like I've seen some of the reviews that were that were put out today, and there, it was mostly positive. Um, I did see there was a there was an audio excerpt of Sam Witwer's narration, and it wound up on a Star Wars subreddit. And I, I clicked on it. I'm like, do I want to read this? Cause like, they could just, <laughs> they could just rip into me, but everyone there was really happy with it. Like, I think it was a combination because Sam really goes into, you know, he, it feels like, uh, well, my editor jokingly called it like Darth Maul reading Palpatine's diary. <laughs> so that's what it's like. So uh, he's very Sith-like in in his performance, and I think that that really brings it home. But people were really happy with with just that that excerpt, which is about a third uh, of the story, um, right before it turns into like a lot more of like the the Vader Palpatine relationship. So um, so far so good, um, mm. and, and you know the, these are kind of these are kind of like audition pieces for future projects so Mm -hmm. i have my fingers crossed that it was very you know when i say go big or go home like that was the idea it's like i could write something that was a little bit more incidental like you know like the the protocol droid on Mm. cloud city but like that doesn't really make a mark it's just kind Mm. of there and it's kind of fun so if i have a shot at this I want to write something that makes an impression and, and hopefully leads to future projects.
0: Well, I'm, I'm so glad you got the the Palpatine chapter of the book because like for me, like when this whole project was announced, like I remember thinking like the Palpatine chapter is where it's at because that's, you know, it's a major character from the prequels from, from the whole saga who, you know, at this point of the story hasn't been seen or heard from for one and a half movies. You know, and it's like, what's he been up to? And then he, he comes in and he, you know, from the audience's perspective, he immediately knows who Luke Skywalker is. And you're just like, well, hang on. How did, like of all the characters who appear in the movie and make like a memorable impression, I feel like he's the one where you're just like, well, oh, I want to know what he was up to just before this moment. Like, I want to know what, you know, where he got that information, like what his motivation is in this scene. And, it, and it's, you know, because it is such a major character, like it's, it's, even if we didn't know you like I feel like this would be the, 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 the chapter that that you know that we'd be most excited to read and talk about because you know it's just so important to to the canon and it does fill such a huge space in the in the
2: story that that's why I was surprised that they accepted my pitch right away <laughs> I, was like, I, I, I was pretty confident like my level of of nerddom like I knew. I knew what tone I wanted to hit and I knew it would be appropriate for the character in that moment. And I knew that I could connect it to, you know, the history of Anakin Skywalker. Um, I knew I could do all that, but I was still kind of an unknown quantity to them. Like I knew some of the editors had read my other books and they liked that. So that's why they were taking a chance with me, but like to get, you know, the keys to the Imperial kingdom, (laughs) it was just, I was not expecting that at all. So I'm like, you know, forever grateful that they actually gave me a chance to do that.
1: Mm. So now you've got your foot in the door. Um, what What's next? Are you going to be the new Timothy Zahn? Have you got an <laughs> Empire trilogy in you?
2: I know nothing. I've expressed my I've expressed my uh, desires. If um, so, I'll, I'll say this with a caveat because I haven't finished uh, Kevin Scott's uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. I haven't finished that yet. Mm-hmm. But I would really love to write. A Dooku story that, like, right after he turns, and, and also goes back into like the ethics of, of the um, of the Jedi Order of what he was seeing. Like, from what I've seen, from what I've read of of the Scott um, script, it seems to focus mostly on Dooku's childhood and his relationship with Ventress. And I, if it stays there, then there's a cushy part in the middle, there where where Dooku turns and. You know, because he, he's he's still an idealist. He still has his morals of, like, you know, he still believes... Yes, he's, he's using, you know, dark side powers, but I think he really believes in what the Separatists are doing as opposed to, like, Maul, who just wanted to, you know, create chaos. Mm-hmm. So th- I think that would be a really interesting character story to do. Um, Qui-Gon Jinn is probably my favorite character in Star Wars, and I would not dare take it away from Claudia Gray because she's amazing. <laughs> uh, but if Claudia Gray wants to relinquish that character, for a <laughs> book, I, I would, I would love to write a Qui-Gon Jinn book. <laughs>
0: and what's next for you in terms of uh, non, non-Star Wars uh, projects?
2: So I have um, in January, I have, we could be heroes coming out and that's a, that's a superhero story. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, Well, depending on what levels of nerddom the audience knows, uh, I'd say it's like uh, the grounded tone of uh, Jessica Jones, um, specifically like the Marvel series uh, or the Netflix series of Jessica Jones, meets uh, the chemistry and humor of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is my current favorite show on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's about a superhero and a supervillain who accidentally meet up in a support group and they decide that like they're actually better off as friends and they team up to, to find out how they got their powers. (laughs) So that's coming in January.
0: Awesome. Uh, And where can people find you on, uh, on social media and things of that nature?
2: I am mostly active on Twitter at Mike Chen writer. um, And you have to include the writer. And I know I said this last time (laughs) I was on your show too, because there's Mike Chen, the YouTube food guy. Yeah. Yeah. Where It's funny. Cause like I got some of his fan mail and then he got tagged in some geek stuff. And so we started messaging <laughs> each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're like, we should do like a podcast together or something. Um, no, that's, that's the guy who makes much more money than me. <laughs> 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 yeah. So there's, there's Mike Chen, the, uh, the food guy, there's Mike Chen, the minor league hockey player, there's like a few other Mike Chen's out there. Like even at my day job, there's like seven Mike Chen's in like the global directory. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it is a very common name. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny because there was another Mike Chen that worked on Star Wars. If you look at Wikipedia, um, when they first announced this anthology, like they tagged my name with the comic artist who had did, he did, um, he did some stuff for Sandman and he did some Star Wars stuff. Um and then so he like they, they they didn't realize I was a different person when they created the Wikipedia entry. So You're I right. tweeted out, like, does anyone edit Wikipedia? Like I'm a different person <laughs> from, <laughs> from this guy. <laughs> And so if you look at my Wikipedia entry it actually states that like after the announcement you know Mike Chen noticed this and requested <laughs> that we create a separate <laughs> entry for him. <laughs> so yeah there's there's there still is a geeky Mike Chen but he like he's definitely not as active on social media as me
0: and in, in terms of uh in terms of the books like what's the what's the best way for people to buy the books what's the what's the way to buy the books that uh that brings mike chen the most uh you know what i'm you know what i'm saying
2: um it it, it actually doesn't really matter whether you use like for royalties coming to me it doesn't matter if you buy it at your local bookstore or um or amazon Nice from uh from a community perspective i highly support you know going to your local bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, especially right now when like, you know, they don't, they can't allow that many people into their stores and mm. their revenues are down. So um, if you're going to buy this uh, star Wars anthology, please uh, order it from your local bookstore um, because they could really use your help right now.
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, that's where you can find Mike. We are at Force Material on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual places. Generally easiest to get a hold of us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Rowan underscore Williams on Twitter. And Baz, you are at Baz McAllister. Uh, Coming up in our next episode, we have our Mandalorian episode three recap review. Uh, which I believe will be with the uh, Blue Bantha Milk guys, which is another Australian Star Wars podcast based down in Melbourne. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm
2: Ron Williams. I'm Baz McAllister. And I'm Mike Chen.
0: And you've just taken your first step into a larger world.